Aloha, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the Spotify Greenroom app and find one of our Locked On rooms. My guest today is Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated, coming to us live from Chicago at the NBA Draft Combine, and I guess it's actually now morphed into the NBA Draft Pro Days uh, happening right now in Chicago. Jeremy's been there all week. Uh, covering the NBA Draft Combine for Sports Illustrated. And Jeremy, welcome back on the show. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's uh, really turned into a really long week here at the Combine this year, just with the way that they've set it up, because uh, you had the G League camp, followed by the lottery, followed by the actual Combine, <laughs> followed by, you know, four or five pro days. Um, so I think everyone's appreciated. You know, it's, it's all in one place. Teams don't have to go all over the place this year. Um, <laughs> but also everyone's just been here for forever so uh you know i still have a couple more days here in chicago so <laughs> yeah talking to a lot of nba execs i mean this is true every year there's sort of a love-hate relationship with the combine uh and probably even stronger hate minor love with the pro days you know how valuable is all this to nba scouting we know the medical stuff is extremely important and everybody would agree that that's a that's a really important part of this you have measurements, you have athletic testing, you have interviews, you have five-on-five play, then you have these agent-run sort of scripted workouts that that take place during the pro days right now. Uh, you know, you're there, you're in attendance, you get to see most of this. You're not in the interviews with teams, but you know, you other than that, you get you get to witness all of this. What do you think? How does this adjust your scouting? You've been scouting guys in high school, you've been scouting them all year. Does this really ever move the needle much for you, Jeremy? Um, I think yes and no. I mean, like, this is something I've talked about with a few people this week is just the role of recency bias does play, uh, particularly within the NBA in terms of scouting and how we talk about players. And, you know, it's always tough. It's, it's tough to say, you know, what is player development and what is recency bias, right? Like if a guy shoots really well at, you know, in a workout, we already knew he could shoot. Like, does that matter? Like, I don't, and I don't always know the answer. Like, I think it's kind of case by case. Um, but it definitely, from my perspective, it's helped me, uh, particularly this season. And I think there are a lot of scouts who would agree just because of the limited in-person access we had to teams. Uh, you know, I got to go to some games in, in March at the NCAA tournament, but obviously I did not get to see everyone. Uh, you know, there were some scouts who, you know, in, in Texas and Florida who could kind of see, uh, you know, be on the road this year, but not everyone could. Um, so particularly getting to see these guys work out up close. Uh, you know, for me, I don't have a facility. I'm not bringing guys in. So for me, this is, you know, maybe the last look I'll get at some of them. So, you know, you never want to be too swayed by a workout. Um, but I do think that just by showing up, and this is not just in pro days, but also just the combine itself. Uh, a lot of guys did help themselves this week, um, you know, just by showing up and being in shape and competing. Uh, you know, it's hard. To, obviously, it's hard to look bad in a scripted workout, which, like you said, but um, – I think overall it's been good. Um, you know, there's, there've been a few guys who I think, you know, ha- have probably not helped themselves, but uh, overall, I think to me, the people who are most hurt are the guys who weren't here, uh, who aren't maybe aren't guaranteed to be in the first round and opted not to be here or work out or play in anything. And you know, there are a few guys like that. So um, over, overall, I think it's definitely important, um, but I can only speak from my perspective. So, all right. Well, let's talk about uh, some guys that impressed, and let, let's go to the five-on-five. Five, uh, two days of that on Thursday and Friday. 
Uh, most of the uh, players that are projected as first-round prospects don't participate at all in the five-on-five. A few shed it down after a, a pretty good performance in day one. But this is by far the most competitive part of camp. And you know, watching the five-on-five, my impression was that these players really went after it. I, I mean, these were uh, these were players that were really, really, really trying to uh, play hard and sh- and show their value there. Uh, there were some blowouts. I don't think the the teams were equally balanced in talent. Uh, but that wasn't because of lack of effort. So who really stood out to you in the five-on-five play uh, at the Combine? Uh, yeah, you know, I think we have to start with Quentin Grimes. Um, I think if you polled, you know, 10 people who were there, probably eight or nine of them would probably tell you they thought Grimes was uh, the best guy. Like, that's just my estimate. Like, uh, you know, he played really, really well. I, I believe he led in scoring over the two games. I don't have the stats in front of me. I try not to put too much stock into stats w- with these games. Like when I'm watching, I'm really just watching for, you know, specific things. I'm not so worried about rebounds and, you know, things like that. Cause it's, it's easy to overreact to, to a stat line. Um, but, but Grimes was just really consistently good. Uh, I had him way too low on my board. I screwed that up. Um, but it's okay. Like, you know, someone told me it only really matters if you're right in the day of the draft. <laughs> I think sometimes we're a little too hard on ourselves. So, this is, you know, a big information dump for some of these guys you haven't seen. So, you know, Grimes shot it well, which you know, I think we expected, but he did a really good job of making plays for others, moving the ball. Uh, you can just tell he kind of like thinks the game at a faster speed. And it makes sense because again, some of these guys are teenagers you know, he's been around, um, but you know, he's a cool story because he went to Kansas, obviously he was a McDonald's All-American, uh, disappointed at Kansas, went to Houston, kind of reinvented himself as a player. And now looks like a guy who's going to be a top 40 pick. Uh, and has a real chance to go in the first round. Interesting with Grimes because, uh, as a big Kansas fan myself, you know, came in with a lot of hype. I, I think he, on some services, he was ranked as a top ten to top fifteen high school prospect, and was and was billed as sort of a point guard coming out of coming out of high school. Has a really rocky uh, freshman year at Kansas. Transfers, becomes sort of an elite three point shooter. Uh, at Houston, uh, averaged 3.3 made threes a game uh, at Houston last year. The Houston obviously has a ton of success uh, last season, uh, and and then comes to the combine. And I, I was with you. I mean, the shooting was was big, and and you know he was scoring the basketball, but it was actually some of the playmaking and ball handling that I think that, that we didn't see him do as much in Houston. That reminded teams that when he came out in high school, this is what what he was billed as, as a, as a point guard. Do you see him as a, as a playmaker at the next level, or is that just sort of an added bonus? Um, to me, it's more of a, a bonus wrinkle. Like, I, I think his role is probably going to be as, like, a bench wing, but, like, a pretty solid one. Like, you know, physically, he's fine. Uh, not, not, like, truly elite athlete, but, you know, he's long enough. He's athletic enough. Um, I, I view him as more of, like, a, you know, the playmaking is going to help. Like, if you... You know, have to put him sometimes that's like you know if you swing the ball to a guy and there's 10 seconds left you gotta be able to make a play right like that's one thing i've harped on a bit is like yeah nba teams need shooting but also the shooters ideally need to be able to do more than one thing um you know it's hard to just be a one note pure one note shooter as much demand as there is you know elite skills you got to have something else too um so i i think he you know doesn't have any huge like holes in his game um other than, you know, I think we know by now he's not a guy who's just going to take over and he's not going to, like, take you off the dribble. But he, I think he's also figured that out, which is the key. Um, so I view him as an extra shooter, you know, extra ball mover, 
you know, useful defender. Like there's just, there's just enough stuff. It's a, a very utilitarian game that he has now. I think when you're talking about late first round prospects, the the second round prospects, that that actually is the key. Um, I heard this in, numerous times from NBA teams talking about interviews, and one way that you can ace an interview is to know who you are. Uh, it's probably one of the biggest things that will get you ahead. Uh, in an NBA interview is to come in and be realistic about who you are and realistic about what your role is going to be like in the NBA for the next couple of years. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of young prospects come in and they want to exude confidence. And so they come in and, you know, want to talk about, you know, how they're underrated and they're the next Kobe or whatever. That That's not going to win you any points in a front office. But to know who you are and to be comfortable playing that role, I think, is really uh, a really big deal, and I do think that Quentin Grimes uh, is a guy who does seem to have learned uh, over o- over over his college career what he is and what he can do well. And so I, I think that's going to bode well for his draft stock. Who else did you see uh, in Chicago uh, in the five on fives that that impressed you in the draft combine? Yeah, um, there are a few more names. I think uh, let's talk about Jason Preston a little bit because he was on the team with Grimes, and I, I think those two together. It was a little unfair because you can just tell they're a little bit smarter and they process the game a little bit quicker than a lot of the other guys, uh, particularly the other guards that were in those, those five on five groups. But uh, you know, I think Preston, I've written him up uh, recently just as, as sort of a sleeper to watch. I don't know if he's really a sleeper anymore, but I think there's a pretty real chance he's a top 40 pick. I don't think it's crazy to think he could sneak into the first. I don't know if he will, uh, but just in terms of if we're talking about, Hey, we need a backup point guard. Uh, and you look at who's on the board, um, you know, he, of those guys in that range, uh, you know, his playmaking skills are really, really sharp. Uh, I think he's more athletic than some people thought off the film. And I think he proved that this week. Um, you know, he, he shoots it. I, I went and watched him work out. I think he shoots it better than people think he shot it pretty well in the drills. I don't think it's going to be so bad that it's like a deal breaker. Uh, I think it'll he'll keep improving with the shooting. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, if you just think about what you need in a backup point guard, I mean, he's really unselfish. I think he did a good job of not forcing it. And there was one stretch, I think it was the second half of the first game where he just really took over for like five minutes and it was really impressive. Um, you know, for, for me, I, I love unselfish guys and I think some of that rubs off on other players and it can kind of facilitate a, you know, that mom moving style of play, which is what I like. It's one of my personal preferences, but I think, you know, he's a guy who kind of fits that and there are teams who want that, um, so if you're looking for a backup guard and you don't want to take a teenager, you know, he's a pretty interesting option. And comes with a really credible backstory, you know, a guy that was about as lightly recruited as you could possibly be, um, you know, coming out and, and to be thinking about him as a draft prospect right now is pretty, is, is pretty wild. And I know there was a lot of skepticism in the league about how his game translates at the next level. And I think this is a case where you can come from a smaller school, from a you know less recruited, less on the radar screen, get into the combine and just be with other talented prospects that are about your level and show well, and and it does move the needle, uh, right? Uh, for someone like that, I especially think some of these players that come from mid majors or smaller conferences, to be able to come in and show well against those other you know top players is us all part of the game for them. And so I definitely think Jason Preston is a guy that that did that. Another one probably would be Bones Highland. He only plays one game uh, out of VCU, misses the tournament, uh, which is, you know, frustrating for, for NBA teams, even though, you know, whether VCU was in it one or two games. But Bones Highland comes in in one game and might 
you know, maybe next next to Quentin Grimes have the best like just single game uh, of the uh, of the combine. What did you think about Bones Highland, and where do you have him ranked? Yeah, so he, he was the next guy I was going to bring up. Uh, yeah, so he came out in the first game, played a really good ten minutes. I think he hit three threes. Uh, you know, sits back down, comes back out, his shot stops falling, and then you started seeing uh, he was being more unselfish, which is what I really like to see. Like I think, you know, we all knew that he was going to shoot and take shots, but uh, when it's falling, you know, he's pretty tough to guard because he can just hit those deep threes. Uh, but it was great for me to see, you know, how hard he was playing, uh, the competitiveness, uh, and, and the willingness, and uh, again, understanding, you know, when the shot's not falling, that you got to, you know, look for other guys and get him involved. So, so that was something I wasn't necessarily expecting from him, uh, which was which was nice to see. Uh, I think he said on the broadcast he, he he shut it down. I think he was dealing with like a minor groin injury. Uh, so I, I think that that was why he didn't play day two is what is my understanding. Um, but yeah, I, I think he definitely improved his stock. Uh, like j- just, just seeing that, uh, you know, I think there's still some questions just because it's, it's so hard to be a guy where if your main skill is just being a bucket, like that's probably the hardest profile to scale up a level just because there are so many good guards in the NBA. There's so many guys who are really good at getting their own shot. And then the ones who are really good at that, like stick around forever. But think about Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford. I mean, those dudes like were just, you know, continually, you know, Lou Williams still around. Like these guys, that's a skill set that if you're really good at, you can stick around a long time. Uh, but it's also limited amount of spots for those guys because not every team wants that off the bench. So, you know, I think that's the hope for what he's going to be. Uh, I think I have him as a top 40 guy. I haven't fully figured out, you know, what my next set of rankings are going to look like. But I, for, for me, I think he's, he's probably earned that. Um, and I think I'd probably rather chance that than, you know, someone maybe even like a BJ Boston who we just haven't seen play in a long time. We don't know what to expect from him. It's, you know, it'll be different if, you know, BJ Boston, I got to see him work out and, you know, watch him play. But that's an example again of guys who don't show up. It doesn't help because uh, teams have a lot of questions. Uh, and, you know, guys who didn't play, uh, I think are hurt in that way too. So uh, Bones is just showing up playing really, really hard. I think at least left a very strong impression. Bones was one of two guys at the on the plane in the five on five where it just stood out like this guy's a player. Uh, you know, forget about you know measurables and you know length and everything else. Like just when you roll the basketball out, they're a player, and it just shows the confidence level there. And I mean, you see that with Bones at VCU, but it was nice to see him out there in the combine just sort of take the exact same mentality uh, of you know I'm I'm going to take this I'm going to take this over and being able to do it in a, in, a, in several ways. He, he's a little bit so- small. He's very thin, um, but measured with a really great wingspan as well. Um, he's, you know, a, a solid athlete, but not in a, you know, not in a jump out of the gym athlete either. Uh, I, I think he's going to be very interesting. Like you said, there's a limited number of spots for guys like this, but of the guys like this in the draft, I think he's one of the mo- more intriguing uh, prospects that's there. Let's talk about another guy that likes to just go get buckets and maybe just from his high school ranking and just, you know, pure athletic talent, Josh Christopher out of Arizona State might be the one guy I was like slightly surprised that he even played uh, in the in the five on five. Uh, he was ranked by lots of people as a late lottery pick to mid first round pick, you know, sort of coming into the start of the uh, college basketball season. Obviously, one of the, the, the highest ranked freshmen coming out. Uh, what did you think about his performance uh, playing two days at the Combine? Yeah, definitely. That's that's where I was going to go next to was Josh. Um, you know, I think him and Bones is an interesting conversation you can have. Uh, but yeah, I think this is a great example. Uh, you know, on that topic is guys who do play uh, and do help themselves. And you know, Josh, 
he's someone I've watched for, you know, two, maybe almost three years going back to high school. So, you know, I, I knew what to expect from him. Um, and, you know, he's, he's sort of similar to Bones in that he's the type of guy where, where uh, you know, if you just drop him into a random game and you just are like, go, you know, he's going to do what he does. He's going to, you know, he, he's very – Josh is really athletic. He's very good finishing around the rim. Um, the question with him has always just been shot selection, I think, and I think that, you know, hasn't gone away. Uh, you know, he didn't shoot it super great in the in the scrimmages. He, he had some some mistakes, but you, know, you can just see, you know, he's going to be able to beat some guys off the dribble. Um, you know, he's a big, strong guy. Uh, you know, I watched his pro day, uh, and he shot it really, really well there. Uh, you know, and I've, I've seen him play in games where he's shot it well before. So, you know, I think that that is a lingering question is the quality of his shot. Uh, I think the other question is, um, the way I put it, it's like some, some, there's some guys who kind of can grow into a role and there are other guys you are, are going to have to like squeeze into a role. Like, I'm not sure if Josh Christopher is going to be like a star level scorer. Right. But, you know, so when you ask him to do less, like, how will he respond to that? And I think that's a real question. Teams have, or at least in the early going, you know, until you see what you have there. Uh, someone brought up, like, Alonzo Trier as a comparison, and, you know, he's out of the NBA now. But, uh, you know, I'm a little bit more optimistic with Josh than I was coming in, to be honest, uh, just because I think I'm hoping that, you know, he's young enough that you can kind of teach him, you know, sort of what he needs to do. Clearly the talent was never a question. Uh, so I, I think he's back, you know, definitely in that late first-round conversation, you know, 20s. Uh, I don't know exactly where he'll go. I would imagine the range is wide. Um, but again, it, it just goes to show when you do show up and play, even just reinforcing what you're good at uh, can help. He he really popped, and not that there weren't warts. Like you said, shot selection. His shot actually wasn't really falling um, at the combine, which was already a concern for NBA teams. But there there is something to the level of athleticism, feel, aggressiveness. He also, you know, did he also did at times make passes to to his teammates uh which you know is, is good to see with Josh you didn't always see that at Arizona State and uh i thought i thought he was one of the guys like you said who took a risk on himself took a bet on himself and 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 it paid off and there was a number of of prospects and we can talk about this after the break that decided not to do that it maybe maybe wasn't them might been might have been their agents that that told them you know to not play um, Jeremy, when we come back, let's talk about maybe some of the disappointments we had in the in the five on five and um, guys that you know maybe either didn't play or or didn't play well. Uh, you've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. This app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. You can even find Locked On hosts across the NBA, MLB, and NHL. Go download the free Locker Room app today, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NFL, MLB, NHL group for the latest league updates. I know you'll find a ton of incredible rooms around your favorite teams and leagues, I can't wait to join you all on the app. I'll be sure to let you know once the Locked On NBA Draft room is live. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports.
And I am back with Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu. We are talking NBA Draft Combine in Chicago. Jeremy's been there all week, breaking down the Combine. You can read my take on who helped and hurt their draft stock at the NBA Combine, both in interviews, five-on-five, measurements, athletic testing, over on my new website, nbabigboard.com. Give us your email address. You'll get it in your inbox whenever we update either the site with an article or with a podcast. That's nbabigboard.com. Dot com. And we talked about some of the guards that really impressed us in the five-on-five in the, in the first uh, segment of this. Uh, let's talk for a minute about a few bigs. Uh, were there any bigs that really stood out to you? It's, it's harder for bigs to show well in the five-on-five because they often don't have the ball in their hands. They're sort of at the mercy of guards and what guards want to do. Were there any bigs that really stood out for you uh, at the, in the five-on-five? Yeah, uh, if I had to pick one guy... And it wasn't a great group of bigs this year, but I think to me, the clear standout was Namiya Eskeda from, from Utah State, who, you know, this is a player I was really high on when he was a freshman. Uh, I thought he should have, you know, stayed in the draft then because he would have got something and uh, been able to develop. But, you know, to his credit, he, he went back to Utah State and actually made, uh, made something of that experience. You know, he got hurt, which is unfortunate as a sophomore. Uh, but he's added stuff to his game. Um, Clearly, you know, I think he measured, I think he was the, the tallest and longest player at the combine, which wasn't surprising because he measured, you know, two years ago and Taco Fall was like the only guy who was like substantially bigger than him, right? So, uh, but he was just really active. And again, he, I think he benefited from being on the team with all the good guards, like him, Josh Christopher, Grimes, uh, Preston. They were all on that one team that played really well together. So uh, those guys are moving the ball a little bit and it definitely helped because, you know, Namias got some easy ones, but just, just, you know, as a rebounder was very effective. He alters shots. He's very long, um, has gotten much better in terms of screening, rescreening, understanding how to do that part of his game. And I think, uh, I think there's a pretty good chance he can get drafted. Um, just because, um, it's not a great group of, of, of second round bigs. Uh, I would say him. And then the other guy I'd add would be Jericho Sims. Uh, who tested extremely well. You know, he was pretty good. He was active in the uh, in the scrimmages. Didn't like blow me away, but just the overall profile there, knowing you know he's a freaky athlete. Uh, he's in great shape. Uh, you know, big frame is you know the tools have never been a question. Uh, but but just um, you know if you're putting him up against you know like a Charles Bassey that type of guy, you know what's the big difference? Uh, you know I think that's something people will, will talk about now. Uh, so again, just, just showing up and showcasing, you know, the quality of, you know, the, the tools uh, can go a long way. So, yeah, I'm with you with both of those guys. Kate is a guy I've also been really high on for a while now. And I, I, I think that it wasn't again, just that, you know, with these prospects, they go out and put a good stat line. It's how active they were, how hard they played. I really thought that he was extremely active. He hustled, he was trying to defend, uh, and he just he showed well. I, I think he's skilled. I think he's huge. Uh, and even though the NBA is getting away or has been for years getting away from bigs, there there's the uh, he's a guy I think who can stick on an NBA roster. And I think the draft is so fluid starting, I don't know, in the late teens to early 20s on down through the rest of the draft he could absolutely have moved the needle. Another guy from a smaller school that you get another chance to see in, in this environment and played well. And, and I agree with you. Sims at least passes the eye test as far as he's an NBA athlete. You know, he looks the part. Uh, you know, he's like a, you know, Dwight Howard-esque physique and, and, you know, sort of athleticism. 
doesn't have the game, and you know that's going to be the you know the question mark. He can really dunk the basketball. Uh, I think shot seventy percent or sixty nine point six percent at the rim for Texas. Anything else sort of outside of that uh, is a little bit of a question mark uh, for Jericho Sims and wasn't an elite rebounder or shot blocker at Texas. So I, I worry a little bit about you know this being a guy who has those measurables. You know there is a thing called you know physique bias um, where you come in and you know the player just looks like an Adonis out there and and you want. Uh, you you know you want to to like him and find a way. I, I I'm just curious, you know, based off of breaking down as much Texas film as we've seen. You know, he's he's a four year senior. Uh, what is you know what is his role going to be like at the NBA? So I, I think you're right. There's not a lot of big men uh, that are out there right now, and so that maybe you know maybe that's going to help him. But he, he's a guy that might be too helped. Uh, by a, a good combine might be a guy that his stock ends up going maybe higher than it should and that happens every year there was a surprising number jeremy of of players who decide not to play uh, at the combine uh, and i'm not just talking about guys that you know didn't show up at all but guys that were at least in my opinion you know clear second round prospects that don't participate in the five on five. I had a number of uh, NBA GMs call out a few of those prospects by name um, that they can't understand. You know why they ended up not playing there. Charles Bassey, Brandon Boston Jr., Aaron Henry, Rocco Perkison, uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, De'Ron Sharp, J.T. Thor. These are all prospects that aren't locks. I think for the first round but don't decide to play on the five on five. Who was the most disappointing to you that they didn't even, didn't even show? Um, That's a tough question. Uh, Because there there are a lot of guys I could identify. I mean, I mentioned it before. I I think BJ Boston is one who I really, I didn't necessarily expect him to be here and do it, you know, but that's, that's a person who I think has come up as someone who teams really would like to see just because, it's been so long since we've seen him play. Uh, you know, a disappointing season, obviously. Uh, and it's hard to know, you know, what to blame on context, what to blame on the player, how that affects the you know, projection for a guy who some people thought was going to be a top 10 pick. Uh, so I think naturally, you know, he's one of those guys that um, would have been helpful to see more of. Uh, I, I would even add like Cam Thomas to that group where, you know, I think he'll probably be a first round pick. Uh, I, I, I don't think he has a promise like, I know, I, I know that he pulled out, Isaiah Jackson pulled out. Uh, I'm not sure if those guys, you know, those rumors are going around. I don't know if I believe them. Uh, but Cam Thomas is a guy, too, where I'm just like, I was never super high on just because of the way he plays. And then it's like, well, there are other scorers in this draft, too. You know, you have a Bones Highland or a Josh Christopher who play a similar role uh, and may have more upside uh, in terms of just what they do physically, right? So you know, that's a guy who, I don't, again, I don't know if I expected him to play. But just by not being here, I think there's some out of sight, out of mind effect. And uh, in the guys you are seeing, uh, you're thinking about more often. Yeah, I think I think Boston was probably the guy that got <laughs> the most uh, GMs annoyed uh, a bit that he wasn't there. He's he. I had one general manager tell me that he's still acting like he's a top 
10 pick in this draft. Like he, the way that he sort of responded to everything. He also didn't do the athletic testing, um, you know, which is, which is interesting considering, you know, some of the prospects who did do it um, as well. And maybe he or his, you know, his group don't have a realistic handle on where he's at right now in the draft right now. This is a guy that uh, I won't be surprised if he slides into the second round and maybe, you know, slides considerably in the second round. I think that's where he's at right now. Now, look, it only takes one team. And, you know, maybe they know something that we don't and there's a team that really likes him. But definitely was a guy that I think brought up a lot of frustration uh, as well. And I also think, um, you know, Bassey was a guy that a lot of teams would have really liked to have seen in this context and were a bit frustrated that he wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. You know, both those guys are, are here and interviewed. But, yeah, just, just not seeing them play. Uh, I think Bassey had a pro day uh, this morning, um, which I didn't go to. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, some of those guys who are just on the fringe, um, you know, just – it always rubs me the wrong way a little bit um, if, if you really aren't, you know, for sure going to be a first-round pick. Because uh, then it's just the question is, like, what are you hiding, right? It's like – you know, obviously we have a lot of these guys on film. Like this, this is not the only data point that we have, uh, you know, to, to evaluate them. Um, but my, yeah, my opinion is that I don't think it generally can hurt. Like there were a couple guys this week who didn't play well and I think were hurt, but I think you also could have like a couple guys on this name. It's like, you know, Greg Brown, Dish, and Knicks. Neither of those guys played particularly well. I don't think either one will be a first-round pick. Uh, but those are also guys who, you know, we, we might have guessed, you know, wouldn't have played especially well, just based on the trajectory right now. So this is not to bash those guys. Um, but at but least Greg Brown played. At least they played. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And, you know, I, I talked to some folks about Greg Brown, and his first game was was bad. Uh, he, he wasn't hustling. There was, you know, the motor wasn't there. He played better in the second game. He actually played harder. Somebody clearly got into his ear and told him, you know, you're blowing this, and he went out and at least played hard, which I, you know, I think is, you know, part of it for Greg Brown. Uh, but he, but he, at least he played. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's sort of the interesting thing. Uh, if there were two guys that I thought maybe got hurt in this camp, and I think they both should have been playing, by the way, and so it wasn't like, oh, they made the bad decision to play or not play, were Johnny Juzang um, out of UCLA and Max Asmus um, out of Oral Roberts, two guys that were riding tournament highs, uh, were their stock had been elevated significantly by great play in the NCAA tournament. Um, they come into this environment and they they both can't hit a shot. Now I don't, I'm not personally worried that Johnny Juzang can't shoot or Max Asmus can't shoot the basketball. I I don't I don't believe that's the case. But it was more than that. It, they looked overwhelmed athletically. They looked overwhelmed by the intensity of of sort of what was happening there. And then, you know, Ace Miss's measurements and athletic testing, he, he tested worst among all the prospects that did athletic testing among guards. Uh, it, it probably wasn't a great, uh, you know, a great uh, week for them. And all of that luster from the NCAA tournament is now lost. So, I mean, there are risks, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, to speak to both of those guys, I, I was never a huge Juzang guy. You know, I had him as a, mid to late second rounder coming in and um you know i don't think anything has changed there uh i think there's a case for him to go back and just like if, if he proves that he plays the way he did in march if he can do it for the whole season that's definitely going to help him 
but right right now, just now, right now, it looks like a hot streak. It doesn't look like a real thing because you know we had him at Kentucky. He struggled a bit. Uh, you know, he wasn't that guy all the time. He wasn't that guy here. Uh, and you know, Johnny Juzang is an interesting player for sure. Um, but you know, then you have a guy like Joe Wieskamp who tested better, shoots it just as well, and might might be a more utilitarian. Uh, you know, role player and physically just can keep up a little bit better. And, you know, we can't play really good defense guy, guy who helped himself. Um, and um, yeah. And just another name like that is like AJ Lawson, you know, guy people weren't really too focused on comes in, plays well at the G league elite camp, uh, gets into the combine, plays well at the combine. And he just, you know, he's reinvented himself a bit. He plays really hard. He's athletic. He kind of just does things and he doesn't have to be the guy. Right. So guys like that get helped. Juzang kind of trying to play the way that he played didn't really fit in as well. Uh, and then, you know, Ace Miss, I, I was not as intrigued by him coming in. I think partially because I, I didn't get to watch those Oral Roberts games live. I, I was at other games <laughs> in Indy. So uh, I, I didn't have like that uh, moment of wow with him. You know, I just watched it on film, but uh, you know, his size is, I think is an issue. Um, it's not that he can't shoot, but it's just hard when you're that small, it's really hard to get your shot off. And, you know, him coming from Oral Roberts trying to, you know, really jump a level here. It's going to be really tough. Uh, I think there's a pretty good case for him to go back to school uh, too and just keep working on that aspect of his game in terms of creating his shot and playing, you know, pick and roll and doing that type of thing. Like he just clearly is, is a step behind some of the other guards here. And I don't know if that was altogether surprising, um, but I think you're right. Like those are two guys that uh, sort of did have a, you know, come back to earth effect. I'm a Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated. We're talking 2021 NBA Draft Combine. When we return, we'll talk about pro days and maybe the other really interesting thing that happens in camps and combines like this, all the intel um, that's being spread around, whether that's through interviews, rumors, what have you. Uh, we'll tap into all that with Jeremy Wu, Jeremy Wu when we return. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board and Locked On Podcast Network. Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor? When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their faves, as am I. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you're missing out. They have coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. So there's something for everyone. I'm personally a big coconut fan. That's, that's absolutely one of my favorites. I also love mint brownie. I mean, it tastes like a candy bar but it's actually really, really healthy for you. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mix box where you can get two of each of the nine flavors. And not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. Most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, and only four grams of net carbs. Order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com.
And I'm back with Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated. He's in Chicago at the NBA Draft Combine. We're talking winners and losers of the 2021 NBA Draft Combine. We've been talking mostly about the five-on-five play. You can also read my column over an NBA Big Board right now where I break down all the winners and losers, not just in the five-on-fives, but in in pro days, in in the athletic testing, in the measurements, in interviews, uh, medical stuff as well, uh, in talking to NBA execs, what did they think about uh, what happened over the last uh, few days. Jeremy, let's talk about, so there's the the on-the-court stuff. But there's lots of other stuff that's happening uh, in Chicago right now. Teams get interviews. Uh, this is their first time to sit down with a lot of these prospects. Uh, their coaches are in the room. Sometimes sports psychologists are in the room. Uh, you have the medical testing. We had one big thing that came out of that early on, which was Jared Butler um, was not cleared to play um, at the combine and had uh, his case referred to the fit to play uh, committee at the NBA, which which at least says that there was a significant enough issue for it to be elevated there, um, and you know we'll find out more as we get through this. Uh, uh, you know, from maybe uh, teams tend to guard this one a little bit closer to the vest, but you know what we learned from the from the medical testing, and then there's just the scuttlebutt that's going around uh, the league right now. So let's let's take it off the court for a minute. Um, let's start with: Did you hear anything else about? Jared Butler or how this is going to affect his draft stock right now. What's, what's going on with Butler? Yeah. Um, so, so I don't want to speak too much to the specifics of the situation because it's medical. Uh, and you know, I, I don't want to, you know, speak off the cuff about something I don't fully understand. Um, but, I, but I know that it's a medical issue that he was dealing with, uh, you know, last year in the pre-drift process as well. Uh, you know, I think it is just going to come down to if he's cleared to play or not. I think if he's cleared to play, you know, he gets drafted. And, but if he's not, then it's it's going to be hard to take a player like that, right? Like we've just seen situations like that before, uh, where if the NBA strongly advises teams to do one thing or another, you know, they, they generally accept that advice. So, um, you know, it's going to be touch and go. But there there's some talk that you know it it could cause him to not be drafted. Like it could be that bad. So, uh, without getting too too far into the the details of it, um, that that's sort of I think what the gist of what like it needs to be known. Right yeah, I, I think that's fair. And, you know, at some point this will come out if this happens and we'll, we'll have the full details. So there's no reason to speculate on it right now, other than that. It's a serious enough issue that, 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 that's the question mark um, right now. And uh, it, it's, my guess is it affects his draft stock either way. Um, even coming back and saying, okay, might make teams a little bit wary uh, of drafting him. And, and certainly if the NBA comes back and says no, there's a high likelihood that he might go undrafted. And just a shame because I, I thought Jared Butler had an incredible uh, uh, season. I, I think he's one of the safest players in the draft as far as I think that he's got a really high floor. Um, he may not have a super high ceiling, but I think what he does is is going to translate at least at some level in the NBA. And I, I thought he could have been you know, anywhere, you know, between, you know, 14 and, you know, 24 in this draft. Uh, just just want to, you know, throw out a, obviously we don't know all the details yet, but this is just got to be tough for a young man who's worked as hard as he has on his game, had the success that he's had um, to be faced with this right now, as, as opposed to, you know, being able to wow NBA teams right now. And so thoughts out to, to Jared Butler. And I know everybody in the NBA is rooting for him. Uh, any anybody uh, that you heard that you thought was uh, that maybe aced an interview or struggled in an interview? You know, every year this is you know part 
uh, of the process that actually teams, I think, take actually pretty seriously. They prepare for this. They often try to throw crazy questions at prospects, um, ask them math questions, science questions, uh, ask them to break down films sometimes, um, go into the private investigation that often happens with NBA teams where um, they want to call you on a particular issue. Any scuttlebutt you're hearing out of uh, Chicago right now about how the interview process went for these prospects? Yeah. Um, so, so I didn't like, I haven't been digging into that as much. Like sometimes things pop up. Um, but I, I think, uh, I mean, two names who I think have, have interviewed very well. Grimes is one of them. Quentin Grimes uh, has impressed people. Uh, I think Trey Murphy is a guy who's impressed people. Uh, and, you know, I think he's probably gonna you know, for sure go in the first round. It seems like now he's a guy I didn't get as much coming into this. And now I'm like, oh, I was, I was way too low. That's another one I, I messed up, but uh, so I think those two guys are, are some of the ones who have done well. Uh, they're certainly not the only ones. Um, I, I think one one player who's come up, uh, Jalen Johnson, was a guy who really needed to uh, do well in interviews this week. Uh, you know, I had one team that was still a little bit concerned. Um, some of this is conjecture, uh, but you know, he's a guy who I think teams definitely had questions about and needed to have a good week in interviews. So, you know, we'll see how much of that kind of comes back around after this week. Um, but um, you know, that that type of information is is, is still kind of circulating. So, yeah, a few guys that I heard, Scotty Barnes, uh, who may, may be the most um, personable prospect in this draft, always has a smile on his face, super energetic, highly smart. It, it, it's been Scotty Barnes month. I, I'll, I'll say this, you know, that, you know, after a, a so-so solid, you know, freshman season, he seems to be convincing more and more teams that he's a top five prospect. Uh, he measured well at the combine. He tested well athletically. People loved him uh, in the interviews. Uh, he's definitely a guy that I think, uh, you know, didn't obviously play five on five, but I think did just about everything else that you want to do uh, in this process. And so I think he's he's a guy that definitely um, did well in the interview process. I actually heard some really good things about Isaiah Todd. Um, from the G League Ignite, and another guy that I think is, I think his teams are taking a second and third look, uh, maybe working his way into the first round as well. And multiple sources saw him as as really uh, impressive in the interview. Had a lot, uh, was impressed with his intelligence, human, uh, humility, and also David Duke' uh, a story out of Providence right now. You know, his family immigrating from Liberia and sort of talking about sort of that whole experience as well. Uh, there's a certain level of maturity that they saw in Duke. And, you know, another just sort of interesting tidbit, uh, you know, I don't know that every sports fan knows this, but if his name is unfortunately shared with a, you know, a white supremacist nationalist. And it's a it's an unfortunate sort of name. It comes up a lot for him. And uh, teams were really impressed. They, they brought it up in some of his interviews and his responses to it. They thought were just absolutely great that he can go change his name. I'm keeping mine. Uh, and, uh, you know, so another guy that I think. Uh, I heard some really positive things sort of coming out of uh, of the interview process uh, as well. And I agree with you on Jalen Johnson. Uh, from what I've heard, uh, not, not, he didn't hurt himself in those interviews, but that's sort of exactly how you described it. Maybe there's still some lingering questions there um, about about that. I, I think he's playing everything close to the vest. And, and you know, sometimes that can be frustrating as teams want you to be open and vulnerable um, in those. But, you know, a lot of times... That, that's how the prospect's going to play it. They're going to be quite guarded um, in the interview process. Let's talk pro days. Is there any value in seeing a, a scripted uh, you know, agent workout? I know you've been going and attending some of these, and 
I, I know none of us want to hurt the agent's feelings who you know spend time and money and, and prep on this. And it's it's been part of the draft process. I, you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years, and I, I've been going to pro days for over, over 20 years. Uh, and, uh, and I've always sort of scratched my head when I walked away, like, what does this, how does any of this translate? Um, what does this show? I think you can hurt yourself in a pro day um, by being lethargic or out of shape or, you know, just, just, you know, acting like you don't care or, you know, something like that. I think you can hurt yourself, but can you really help yourself in, in a pro day shooting you know, alone in a gym, gym and drills. Like if Josh Christopher goes 0 for 10 in a game, but then goes 10 for 10 from three uh, in an empty gym, do, do, do you really walk away from that saying, oh, he, he he's a good shooter? I mean, how? what's your take? I know you've probably been to plenty of these yourself. Like, is this ever really indicative of, of a prospect? And should we just ban the pro days? <laughs> Um, I mean, as far as indicative, I wouldn't, I'd say probably no, cause it's really just, obviously it's one day, like any other day, right. It's a workout. They're mostly just shooting threes and dunking. Uh, it's most of what birthdays are. Um, but, uh, I, I do think, um, there's certain areas where it's helpful, uh, just to get a sense of, uh, you know, bodies and like you said, who's in shape, who, who cares, uh, not caring seems like the bare minimum. There's still guys who. I'm not going to bash anyone, but there are some guys who really didn't, didn't really care. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I give credit to, you know, some of these books. Scotty Barnes is one of them. Greg Brown is another. Both those guys went really, really hard in their pro day. Yeah. Sharif Cooper also got a got a big shout out from a lot of people yeah. for going really so hard. I, I, missed, I missed Cooper's pro day. Uh, I was there the day after, so I didn't. I, I can't speak to that personally. But, yeah, but yeah, like I'm saying, it's like, you know, just, just, just that amount of intensity can be helpful. Um, I think, and I'll use this as an example. I just mentioned Trey Murphy. He's someone for me. I was way too low on coming in, uh, to this week. Uh, and part of it was just, I had never seen him play in person. I didn't have a sense of how big he was. I didn't have a sense of how well he shot it. And just, you can just see mechanically it's going to work and you see how you know long he is. Uh, it's going to work. Uh, so, so for me that I wouldn't say that it was the way, he, what he did in the pro day that really changed my opinion, but, but just being able to get eyes on a guy you haven't seen before and i think particularly this year where there are a lot of people i'm not the only one it's not just me in the media it's like there are scouts and executives who didn't get a chance to see players up close this year uh so that element can be important uh, and i think it's also important because again right now we got a month until the draft teams are still trying to line up all their workouts over the next few weeks and maybe you show something they didn't realize or you you know, perform well or you, you know you show someone something maybe that gets you a few more workouts, right? So from that perspective, it's like a sales pitch, uh, but that matters too, right? So maybe it's, you know, you have a good pro day and you have a really good workout with the team and then they want you, right? So there's multiple steps in the process. Yeah, I, I, and, I'm not, and when I'm talking about pro days, I'm not talking about individual team workouts because the difference between those is that one is scripted and one is not. Uh, when you come into a team workout, what the team is going to ask you to do, you may or may not be prepared for. Now, look, a lot of these agents have had enough prospects that have gone to these team workouts that, you know, they'll, they'll be able to give you some insight into this is probably what they're going to have you do. This is what it's going to look like, but it's, it's different. Um, I've never found much utility, you know, people I've had, you know, several really great workouts, um, that impressed me. Damian Lillard, I go back to Oakland a few few years ago. Uh, Damian Lillard, I thought had the greatest workout that I've ever been to. And it definitely did change something in my mindset. 
about his approach to it. Again, it had nothing to do with how many shots he made. It was just the intensity and the level of competitiveness they had in the workout. But Darko Milicic also had an incredible workout. I was there when he worked out for the Pistons. I thought it was, to this day, one of the best workouts that I've ever seen. And it literally translated into nothing on the court. And so uh, it, it's it's uh, dangerous to get uh, too excited one way or the other about Pro Days. He's Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated. Really appreciate you coming on uh, the show and, and breaking down uh, the combine from your perspective. Uh, I think that we're going to see big boards and, and mock drafts move as they do every year uh, because of that. And uh, you can go to nbabigboard.com and see my new big board uh, coming post combine uh, will be released on Thursday. What about you, Jeremy? When, when does your next uh, big assessment come down? Yeah, um, uh, another column this week, and then I'm going to do something on the, the guys who are facing stay and go decisions. I probably will update my rankings like right after the uh, NCAA deadline, just so we know who's in. It makes it a little easier. Uh, I like to wait. Sometimes we're like stuck in this in between time. I like to wait until after, so I can really n- try to nail it down. Okay, so ch- check out Jeremy over at Sports Illustrated. Uh, you can check out my stuff at nbabigboard.com. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Uh, 